Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church Podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. Good morning, uh, family. It's so great to be here and thank you for the opportunity, uh, Pastor Sai. I just want to start by honoring the citywide leadership team and the Rosebank leadership team. Every Nation Randburg was planted 14 years ago. Um, my wife and I have been fortunate to be part of that journey. But we're so grateful just for your spiritual covering and your support um, over the years. And to you as a congregation as well, thank you for all the support we've received. So on behalf of Every Nation Randburg, we salute you. Albert Hibbert is quoted as saying, Every man is a fool for at least five minutes every day. Wisdom means not exceeding that limit. <laughs> now, a good wife will remind her husband of this on a daily basis. They just use more subtle language. But Pastor Lindy, what is uh, Pastor Sai's limit, you think? <laughs> Pastor Kolo, what is Lareko's limit? <laughs> so in our household, the debate usually goes, I would go, every woman is a fool for at least, and then my wife would go, no, every man is a fool for at least 50 minutes every day. I've been on an interesting journey with wisdom um, in my life. From a young age, people have spoken over me that there is a gift of wisdom in me, and when I was young, I used to reflect and think, that's just people's way of saying I'm really boring. Um, <laughs> no sense of humor, I'm way too serious about life, want to analyze everything. So I really rejected any unction from the Holy Spirit to engage on biblical wisdom as a topic. And then by God's grace, from a young age, I was appointed in executive positions, and I was 28 when I had my first role. Um, it was at Munich Rears Life Reinsurance Exec for Africa, and I remember walking into boardrooms, exco meetings, traveling the continent and being in negotiations cross-culturally and feeling so out of my depth that not even the encouraging verses around let no one despise you because of your youth really did anything for me in those moments. But I was forced to tap into the guidance of the Holy Spirit in how to navigate complex challenges. And one of the ways I love to describe the difference between knowledge and wisdom is the following. Knowledge helps us to move from simplicity to complexity as we grow layer and layer in terms of understanding. But wisdom helps us to distill complexity into simplicity. What is the right decision, the right course of action at any particular point in time? Many of you who are in the marketplace environment will know, and I'm sure whether you're a teacher at a school, whether you're a parent, we sometimes long for the simplicity <laughs> in making decisions. And then we pray, God, please take the complexity away <laughs> of where you've placed us. But what if God designed the complexity but he's gifted you with the ability to walk in wisdom, to navigate that territory. 
And what if our prayer should rather be, God, give me your wisdom to navigate the complexity. I love this picture. I know it's uh, not that clear, but it is of a display that was put up in the 1960s in the Bronx Zoo in New York. And the sign at the top reads, the most dangerous mammal in the world, but it's effectively a large mirror that you would go and stand in front. I often reflect and wonder whether the sign shouldn't read the most dangerous Christian in the world. I don't know about you, but I've grappled with how to make decisions in life. And sometimes I've misunderstood the whole notion of what the dominion mandate and our responsibility in respect of stewardship is because it's so easy to want to defer the decisions back to God and say, God, please can you make this for me? When God is waiting for me and says, Marius, I designed you with a mind, with particular gifts and talents, and I want you to rely on me and figure out what the right thing is to do. And so we end up making many foolish decisions as men and women. I've got to give one for the women, (laughs) or the men as well. So here's my question to you. How many of you, and put up your hands, how many of you would describe yourself as wise? Okay, let's turn the question around. How many of you have made foolish decisions in life? Okay. Would you agree with me that God the Father is fully wise? And that we are created in His image? And that we therefore carry a portion of His wisdom capacity inside of us? Scripture says that Jesus is the persona of wisdom and that he gives his wisdom freely without qualification to every single one of us. How many of you have noticed in 1 Corinthians 12 where the gifts of the Holy Spirit are listed? Which is the first one that's listed? The gift of the word of wisdom. Hands up, how many of you have read a book or attended a seminar or a training course, I have heard globally of a ministry in the gift of the word of wisdom compared to the gift of prophecy, the gift of faith, the gift of discernment. The most dangerous Christian in the world. We have underappreciated the gift of wisdom when it should be one of the most important aspects of our Christian spiritual formation. And I ask this question, why, so many times, and eventually, at the start of 2022, I felt the Holy Spirit prompt me to say, go write a book about it, and I said, oh no, I'm not a theologian. And then I really felt convicted by the Holy Spirit in April 22 to start writing about it. And I'm still learning. I'm still making foolish decisions because every man has his limit every day. On average, we make 35,000 decisions every day. Many of these are in our subconscious. Many of these we do from routine. You instinctively do things that you don't even think about it. 
But then there are many decisions every day that require us to analyze, research, discuss, debate, explore, unpack, weigh up pros and cons. And unfortunately, we often fall into the trap of making those irrational and emotional decisions. Some of you might actually struck with might actually be stuck struggling with making a decision. And you've fallen into a trap of wanting it to be validated by someone else, or asking the pastor for the solution. Some of you might feel wisdom is so out of reach that I can't access it, instead of trusting that God has given it freely to you. Because we don't want the effort of grappling with complexity. But actually, God's designed us to do it. If you were to imagine a square, and that there's certain things that God in His sovereignty has decided, and which is for Him to make decisions upon, okay? There's certain spiritual laws, natural laws. If you break them, you're going to get hurt. They're not negotiable. God's just decided what they are. But within it, He's given you a mandate, and He's given you the ability to decide then why on earth do we want to push those decisions back to God and expect Him to make it? People make foolish decisions and then they become angry at God. Yeah. Proverbs 19 verse 3, read it again. People ruin their lives by their own foolishness and then are angry at God. How many of you have been angry at God because He hasn't done something that you expected Him to do? How many of you become angry at him because you thought it was going to work out in a particular way and it didn't? How many of you have actually repented that it was just your own foolish decision? <laughs> you cannot abdicate your responsibilities. Not to someone else, not to God. Obviously, within particular frameworks, there is levels of authority. But God is waiting for you to make a decision and take you on a journey to learn from your past mistakes. And let me take the pressure off. He's not expecting us to be perfect. He's not expecting you to make every decision in the right way, but he's asking you to learn from it, to grow in it, and start building it up like a muscle and make it a strong muscle that you can apply in life. You just have to start exercising it. I have a prophetic sense, and it's so strong in me that um, it's one of the reasons why I wrote the book, that God wants to release us as wisdom ministers in this nation, in this season, because He's gifted us with wisdom. And the complexity isn't going to go away, right? So I, I've started laughing. I know I shouldn't, but I've started laughing when people pray, God, please take away the problems and the challenges. And my prayer has changed. God, just help us to navigate the complexity and the challenges. Because there's a reason they're there to reflect His glory when we minister in wisdom. Dan Leroy wrote, In contrast to people who rely on worldly wisdom, Jesus' followers are dominated by the Spirit's presence within them. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit instructs, enlightens, regulates, and guides believers. You have access to the Holy Spirit's wisdom. You just need to tap into it. Therefore, people who are controlled by the Holy Spirit are able to evaluate the worth of all things through the discernment He gives. There's a lot in this world in terms of secular wisdom that is fantastic, it's great. We can rely on it as long as it is aligned to God's Word. And we shouldn't dismiss it. We grow from experiential wisdom. 
But the question is, is it aligned to God's word? And so often, biblical wisdom is countercultural. Biblical wisdom is counter the political regime of the day. Biblical wisdom is counter what the CEO of your company is advocating. Biblical wisdom is counter to what the world or your friends wants you to believe. The question is, are you tapping into the guidance of the Holy Spirit to know what you need to do in your context? And the good news is, He's given it freely to you. You just need to embrace it and start growing that muscle. Has anyone heard of the wise woman of Abel Beth Makar? She's in the Bible. Okay. We find her in 2 Samuel 20, and I want to go to a particular passage of Scripture, but before I do, just a quick introduction and context. This was during King David's reign, and David also had his weaknesses. He made some foolish decisions in his life, okay? But still, God honored him, okay? Another reason why the pressure's off, guys, okay? And what happened was, at a particular point during his reign, his son Absalom tries to kill him and to usurp the throne and take over. And so David runs away. He goes and hides, okay? And eventually, Joab, the commander of the army, despite an instruction from David not to kill his son Absalom, kills his son Absalom. One of the men he trusted the most, the commander of the army. And so King David is in a place of deep, deep mourning in his life in one of probably the weakest moments that we read of in his walk with God on earth. And he goes back to the palace, okay, and in that period of mourning, a new threat arises, okay? And it says at the start of 2 Samuel 20 that there was a troublemaker named Sheba, son of Bikri, a Benjamite. He sounded the trumpet and shouted, we have no share in David. Okay, that's quite a significant statement, okay? To stand against the king, okay, the leader of the day and say, we have no share in you. Every man to his tent, O Israel, which was basically an instruction that meant desert the king. So all the men of Israel deserted David to follow Sheba. How many of you have been in a position where you felt completely deserted by the people that you trusted, by business partners, by family, by friends when you needed them the most? But it says the men of Judah stayed by the king. And David, David was a fantastic strategist, okay? He was really wise when he was at his strongest, but really foolish when he was at his weakest. And in this moment, he recognizes the threat that Sheba poses, because if at least 10 of the tribes of Israel no longer support him, then clearly it's a threat to his rule. And he first commands a man called Amasa to go and pursue Sheba and find him and address the situation. Who was Amasa? Amasa was the commander of the army under Absalom, the guy that tried to kill David. Now that doesn't strike me as the wisest decision. Okay? And so often we do that. We rely on the pattern that was set before us. We rely on secular wisdom, which was, well, the commander of the army stays the commander of the army. 
And instead of addressing the issue, he puts his trust in the guy that was trying to kill him. Okay? Amasa then, he tells him, go and find men who are still willing to support us so that we can address the situation. And then Amasa doesn't return. Okay, so David becomes anxious. And then he asks Abishai to go and do it. And Abishai was Job's brother. Job was the commander of the army before um, Amasa. So he asks Abishai most likely because he had unresolved conflict with Joab. He wasn't willing to confront another issue in his life. So he asks Abishai to go and pursue him. And scripture says they gather a few men and off they go. They pursue Sheba. And along the way, they find Amasa, okay, the guy that was first commanded by King David. And what does Joab do? He's not even the leader or the commander of the army, the individual with authority. Okay? Again, he's disobedient, and he kills Amasa. Why? Because probably out of selfish ambition, he wants to improve his chances to become leader and commander of the army again. So he tries to outwit his own brother, Abishai, upstages him. Let me kill Amasa. Hopefully, King David will recognize me again. So he takes things into his own hand, just another form of secular wisdom. Every man is a fool for at least five minutes every day. And then eventually, we get to verse 14 where it says, Sheba, the rebel leader, passed through all the tribes of Israel, obviously to try and create an insurrection. And they come to a town in Israel called Abel Beth Makkah. He gathered together and effectively they go into the town, which means that the town of Abel Beth Makkah opened up the gates for the rebel leader. So effectively they're siding with the rebel leader and have turned their backs on King David. Joab comes, okay, and if you read the passage, they do what the wise strategic move was in warfare at the time. When you get to a fortified city, okay, you don't try and break down the walls and use your energy to do that. You built a siege ramp, okay? And this passage says they built a siege ramp because they're going to try and get over the wall. Now, clearly, this is like a Netflix movie. There is so much tension here, right? Okay? <laughs> And this is about to escalate what? Into civil war because of the wisdom of secular men. And guess who steps in? An ordinary woman. There's one for the woman. Second Samuel 20, verse 16 to 19, we read, But a wise woman, an ordinary woman without authority, without any form of position or leadership, Without her advice being solicited, okay, she steps forward, she calls out to Joab, listen to me, Joab. Do you know that many of you are in positions at the moment where God has placed you in your able Beth Makar and is waiting for you to call out the secular wisdom of your world and confront it and go, listen to me, there's a different way. She calls out to him, come over here so I can talk to you. Now, I don't know about you, but if a woman would just, a random woman would come to me and say, hey, listen to me, okay? <laughs> now, luckily, Joab on this day reached his limit of foolishness and he decided to listen to this woman, okay? 
So she says, are you Jab? I am, he replied. She said to him, listen carefully, I'm listening. Men, ooh, we need to listen to the women in our lives. I'm just throwing that out there. Then she continued, there used to be a saying, if you want to settle an argument, ask advice at the town of Abel. This is very significant. Some translation says that this woman had a reputation for being wise to the extent that people from different towns and cities came to Abel Beth Makkah to get her input on decisions. This was an ordinary woman with a reputation for wisdom capacity. And she's willing to step forward in the middle of a conflict and attention and speak power to authority. Are you willing to do that? When the Holy Spirit guides you to do it. She says, I'm the one who is peace-loving and faithful in Israel, but you are destroying an important town in Israel. How much destruction is happening in this nation, not because people act in secular wisdom, but because Christians don't speak up when they need to. Why do you want to devour what belongs to the Lord? So she asks him a question. Okay, there's no warfare strategy going on here. There's no weaponry. Okay, there's no shield and gun being pulled out. Okay, she simply asks a question. Joab replies, believe me, I don't want to devour or destroy your town. So his motive's pure. And like many other Christians, our motives are pure. But we can be sincerely wrong when we do things. He says, it's not my purpose. All I want is a man named Sheba, son of Bikri, from the hill country of Ephraim, who has revolted against King David. Isn't it interesting he had a valid concern, Joab? What he was doing wasn't necessarily unbiblical, but maybe just the way he did it was. Isn't that true of our lives as well? We have pure motives in what we try and do, but sometimes we just pick the wrong way in how to address it. He says to her, if you hand over this one man to me, I will leave the town in peace. Now, here's an interesting negotiation, okay? She's not making the first move by putting something on the table, is she? Okay. But Joab actually listens and he makes the first move, okay? And he's willing to compromise. Ooh, men, are you willing to compromise? Just throwing that out there again. All right, the woman replied, we will throw his head over the wall to you, okay? <laughs> I've read this passage many times, and at this point, I can't help but wonder and ask, where are the other men in this town? Where are the elders? Where are the leaders? Where's the mayor or the governor or the people in authority and position? Okay. But a woman steps forward and makes the commitment okay, to solve this. And then look what it says. The woman went to all the people with her wise advice. She individually influenced the rest of the town to agree that this was the right outcome. Biblical wisdom isn't wisdom until it's spoken and until you have convinced others in such a way that it will glorify God. Then it's just a thought. 
in your mind. You might have the revelation, but if you don't act upon it, you're not being obedient. You have to speak wisdom. And we've become scared of speaking and wisdom. So they threw over the head. He blew the ram's horn, which is in effect a prophetic declaration that King's David, King David's reign will be restored again, right? And he called his troops back from the attack and they all returned to their homes and essentially there was peace in the land again. It didn't require a massive amount of resources. It didn't require the strongest man or leader in this situation. What did it require? One ordinary woman willing to confront a situation and speak a word of wisdom. My question to you is, where are we? Why aren't we speaking words of wisdom in this nation, in our workplaces, in our churches, when we confront it? Because we've been conditioned to just respect other people's opinions. And I'm here this morning because I feel an action from the Holy Spirit to say, no more. It's actually unbiblical that we can't speak wisdom. Now, obviously, there's protocols around how we do it, and we don't manipulate people, and I write in the book around when we minister in the gift of the word of wisdom, and I'll make the distinction now, it is critical that we do it within God's domain and order for how we should do it. But speak, we must speak. So Marius, what is wisdom? And let me just quickly, before I go into that, distinguish. I refer in the book to the gift of wisdom as the divine impartation of wisdom that the Holy Spirit gives us, okay, for our own benefit, versus the gift of the word of wisdom that Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians 12, which is a ministry gift for the benefit of others. And there's a reason it's listed in 1 Corinthians 12, because God wants us to minister in wisdom to other people to help them for their benefit and the benefit of our society, and the benefit of our companies, and the benefit of our suburbs, and the benefits of the political system and the economy that we're in at the moment, because we are called to distill the complexity into the simple in this nation. So wisdom is sound judgment. One of the, there's many definitions. One of the definitions I like, no, sorry, quick sidetrack. When I wanted to find resources on this, I struggled. Joyce Meyer had a definition, okay, which just said, Wisdom is when you're happy tomorrow with the decisions you made today, okay? And I couldn't help but wonder where are all the other leaders with their definitions of wisdom, okay? But it's basically the ability to make the right choice with a reasonable level of certainty in all aspects of life and amongst complex trade-offs and incomplete information and that results in healthy fruit. You're never going to have all the information at your disposal, brothers and sisters. You're never going to have all the resources at your disposal. But you need to live in such a way, and that's the difference with biblical wisdom. Biblical wisdom is all of that, but through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. That you trust the Holy Spirit enough to help you to make decisions, even when you don't have all the answers. I'm going to make this simple because I'm afraid the men won't talk to me. Um, after the service. So here's one for the men. I've chosen a sports analogy, okay, to help you understand what biblical wisdom is. And I'm going to use the acronym WIS and DOM in the word wisdom. 
as an easy way for you to help remember the difference between biblical wisdom and secular wisdom. The W stands for worship. See this as the referee, the linesman, the third umpire, the rules of the game. There's certain things that God's domain. Okay, you break the rule, yellow card. You break the rule again, red card. High tackle, red card. Okay? There's no point in negotiating with God on those things. Just accept them. They're the rules of the game. And what is our job? This is we walk in lordship. What is lordship? I'm making Jesus Lord of every area of my life. Not just the ones I'm willing to trust with whilst I keep the rest for myself. No, stewardship means I recognize him in everything in my life and test whether it is in line with his will. Okay. So that talks to our lordship, our sonship, our obedience, our holiness. The I stands for intelligence, okay? See this as the team research, the game plan that you discuss as a team, the tactical strategies, how to overcome your opponent in the game, okay? Now, there's two dimensions here. One is God has placed you in a particular domain, area of skills and expertise, where you are called to lead, and you must learn that game, and the tactical strategies. So often as Christians, we encourage and validate everything that is spiritual, but we neglect to validate in the natural what we need to grow and excel in. When the Bible calls us to excel in worldly affairs, Solomon excelled in worldly affairs. Daniel excelled in worldly affairs. Go and read the characters of the Bible. They started by excelling in the area of expertise that God has placed them, and we must validate that and encourage that. But our job is to redeem that, to be in line with God's word. Okay, But we must also recognize the other dimension, which is the spiritual laws that he has placed us in a particular environment, whether it's a school, whether it's a business, the marketplace environment that you're in, you are there to apply the spiritual laws whilst you recognize the rules of the game that you're busy playing. And you should influence it to be in line with God's word. So you need to know the spiritual laws. You need to know scripture in order to go and apply it. Okay. The S stands for stewardship. This is your role as player. When God selects you, he is the coach. Jesus is your coach. You select it for the game. You don't go, coach, will you run up for me? You don't go, coach, must I kick for goal? Coach is going, yes, I'm waiting for you to kick for goal. So why are you waiting for God to make all your decisions? Okay. You must live in such a way that you know, I've trained. God's given me skills. He's given me talents. He's given me resources. He's given me relationships that I can rely on in playing the game. So this is my stewardship. And you need to take ownership of the decisions that you make. When good players on the pitch make mistakes, yes, they get criticized, but they learn from it. There's no perfect player. Go and pick a sport. They all make mistakes. Okay? The dorm stands for domain. See that as the stadium, okay, or the particular sport where he's placed you. Don't go and move out of your domain, okay? I didn't get the gift of sport in my life, okay? I participated in certain sports. Other guys were way better than me, okay? But sometimes we just have to accept what we're strong in. And go and pursue that instead of worrying about the stuff that isn't our gifts or talents, okay? 
And God has placed you in particular domains for a reason, because that's the game he wants you to play. So you've got to be faithful in your metron where he's placed you, faithful to your calling. Don't move outside of it. People make foolish decisions, and then they become angry at God because they move out of their metrons and out of their callings. Okay, hopefully this is helpful, an easy way to remember biblical wisdom. Secular wisdom just focuses on intelligence. Okay, in the one domain, the natural. Biblical wisdom has got so many facets to it. Now, in my journey in writing this book, what I realized is we read the English Bible wisdom, okay? And there's many references to wisdom in Scripture, okay? Guess what? In the original Hebrew text, different words were used for wisdom because there's different manifestations of wisdom. Some texts refer to chokhmah, other to shachal, other to to Shia, other to Hachma. They are different manifestations of wisdom. Some is experiential wisdom. We, we rely on the people that have gone before us, the elders. We rely on other people's mistakes. We learn from our past mistakes. To Shia is a form of wisdom where we make decisions that is the benefit of a broader community, not just for myself. Chokhmah wisdom is a divine impartation in the moment of a solution given by God for a particular situation, and we have access to that. And therefore, when we read Scripture, we need to understand what type of wisdom it's referencing. Now, we don't have time to go into it. I'll unpack it in the book, but just two examples. Joseph, before famine, when God gave him the dreams, it wasn't only the gift of miracles operating through his life at that stage, but also the gift of wisdom in such a way that Pharaoh, who was an unbeliever, recognized that there was a divine empowerment through the Spirit of God on his life and the gift of wisdom. Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the divine Spirit of God? He said to Joseph, since your God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and clear-headed and wise as you are. Are you living in such a way that unbelievers will say, you are wise because of the Spirit of God that is within you? Does your decisions reflect the glory of God in what you make. Exodus 31, Bezalel, when he was building the elements of the tabernacle, these were things that were designed and built for the first time. There wasn't a print, okay? There wasn't a pattern. There wasn't something that he could refer to, okay? But through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, God gave him very specific form of wisdom. It actually talks to a wisdom that manifests in the skill in which you, your, your art, your craft that is given you with. A divine empowerment to make something for the first time that's never been made before. Many of you are called to make things for the first time that's never been done before, but he's waiting you to access the divine spirit of God. I've filled in Bezalel with the spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship. That word wisdom there actually refers to he was so excellent in his craft it was never done and seen before because of the wisdom capacity. James 1 verse 5, you might be saying, Pastor Marius, as I'm sitting here, wisdom really still feels out of reach. I don't know how to get there. Well, here's the simple answer, James 1 verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should... Say it again. Why aren't you asking God? I'm going to ask you again. How many of you are wise? 
Just ask God. What does it say? He gives generously. He hasn't reserved a little bit for you and more for the senior pastor. He hasn't given a little bit for you and so much more for the president of this country. No, he gives generously to who? To all. And this blows my mind. Without finding fault. Why do you disqualify yourself from what God wants to do through your life by feeling I can't access God's wisdom when he gives it generously without finding fault? And he says, it will be given to you. Say, he will give it to me. He will give it to me. Amen. Ephesians 1, this was Paul's prayer. It's my prayer for us as a ministry, a global every nation movement, but also for this nation. Ask God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I'm not discounting the other areas that you need to grow in in terms of intellect and the functional area that God has placed you, but Paul was praying, give them a special revelation to face the challenges that they were facing at the time so that they might grow because you need the knowledge of God to deal with the complexity that you're facing. So if you don't know what to do when you feel overwhelmed and things feel too dear makar, is the Afrikaans word, okay? Just pray for a greater knowledge of God and you will feel the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to address the issues. 1 Corinthians 30, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30, God has united you with Christ Jesus for our benefit, God made him Jesus to be wisdom itself. Jesus is the personification of wisdom, says scripture. Say after me, for my benefit, for my benefit, God has made Jesus to be wisdom itself. One of the things I've realized is when we read Proverbs and we read the capital wisdom in all those passages, I wisdom call out from the streets, lady wisdom. Guess what? One of the passages is, I wisdom was the architecture at his side when creation was made. Who was the architect at at God the Father's side? Jesus. So I encourage you, go and read Proverbs and replace all the capital wisdoms with the term Jesus and see how the text comes to life because he is the personification of wisdom. Ephesians 3 verse 10, this for me, it still blows my mind. I've looked at this verse in so many concordances because I couldn't believe it. I was trying to look for a different angle and a different interpretation. I'm still waiting For someone to say, no, 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 Marius, you got it wrong, because I still can't believe it. It is so powerful. God's purpose in all this was to use the church. Who's the church? It's you, brother and sister. God, his purpose was to use you to do what? To display. What does display mean? It's the opposite of hiding. Why are you hiding? Okay? He's chosen you to display his wisdom in what? It's rich variety. To who? Who's the unseen rulers and authorities? The angels in heaven. Do you know what this passage is basically saying? 
The angels are watching you and learning from you how to make wise decisions. That was God's plan. Doesn't that blow your mind? Okay. Just a reminder, the pressure's off. Please don't walk around going, ooh, the angels are watching me. Okay. Okay, don't go there. Okay. But this was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus, our Lord. God had a very specific plan for biblical wisdom in our lives. We're just underappreciating it. Please stand as we finish. As a global every nation movement, we believe in discipleship, right? Yes. And we believe in evangelism. All the time. Guess what? Wisdom was part of the Great Commission. Yeah. I'm going to say it again. Wisdom was part of the Great Commission. Wisdom is missional. In Matthew 23, verse 34, in the Amplified, it says, in Jesus' own words, I, Jesus, am sending you prophets and wise men. Okay, wise men and women. This happened in the context of where we were speaking to the Pharisees who thought they had all the wisdom in the world. They excelled in secular wisdom. And Jesus was chatting and debating with them and he was basically saying to them, I've sent you people who carry a different level of wisdom in their lives. You're just too blind to see it. This nation is blind to God's wisdom. And guess what? God is waiting for you to be sent, to display for His benefit in the richness of His wisdom what the real truth is in a particular context. And so my prayer is as you go out today that you will start appreciating the biblical gift of wisdom for your benefit and that you will start ministering in the gift of the word of wisdom that Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians 12 for the benefit of other people because you are being sent as a wisdom minister. Say, I am a wisdom minister. Do you believe it? Amen. Father God, we just come before you and oh Lord, we repent of our foolish decisions. We also repent when sometimes we should have made decisions and we didn't and we tried to abdicate them to someone else or even back to you. We ask your forgiveness for those things where you decide but we thought we could decide. Help us to understand and appreciate, Father, what is within our domain that we need to take accountability and responsibility for, what is yours. And Lord, within it, that we will come before you and we ask, Father, in line with these verses, please give your wisdom to us. Father, thank you that you give it generously. Thank you that you give it in your rich variety, that you give it for whatever we need and the complexity that we face. And Father, help us to stop praying for more resources, more information, and just to start praying, give me the wisdom to manage the complexity for this moment every day and father thank you that you give it without qualification thank you that you take the pressure off to make perfect decisions and that through your grace even if we make bad decisions that you're in it to help us to fix it and that your grace covers it and that you can turn bad into good 
when we trust you too, Lord. And Father, we pray for this nation, a revival in the gift of biblical wisdom in all spheres of society and in a ministry of the gift of the word of wisdom that not only in this nation but globally, unbelievers would say the gift of wisdom rests on this nation and on its people. And Father, we want to be those people. In Jesus' name, amen.